There it is. And the dreams that you dare to dream. Someday I wish I'm. Yeah, so so that that song was recorded by that like Hawaiian dude, and and it was uh um it was on that movie Fifty First Days. Jason, that is recording actually. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> Edit out all that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but dude, uh, I saw like a YouTube video of the of the Hawaiian guy that actually recorded. Dude, the guy's like four hundred and fifty yeah. pounds, man. <laughs> He's like gigantic. He's not a small guy. Yeah, well, Remember yeah, he, like three episodes when ago when you were trying to clarify that I wasn't fat? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, guy, that guy was, that fat. Guy was okay. fat. He ended up dying from obesity. He's, no. he's dead now. Thanks so. for bringing that up. Well, yeah. well, hello, everyone. Welcome to <laughs> what a downer. another episode of Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast. <laughs> worship Ministry Catalyst is a network and resource for all worship leaders, worship team members, servers, and a catalyst to facilitate better worship in local church. Gosh, can you say it any faster, <laughs> I'm trying. My name's well, David. In one breath. <laughs> and I'm here with... Hi, it's me, Kevin. And yet again, our final episode with John this time around. Yeah, we're going to miss you, John. Gosh, I feel like we've really bonded these last four weeks. This has been fantastic. <laughs> it has been great. It's been really exciting. <laughs> but hey, we're going to get right into it because yeah. we got a schedule to keep with. And so I ended the last podcast by saying I had one more thing. It's going to take us right into what you wanted to talk about. Here was my thing. Um, we're talking about liturgy. And we've been talking just to kind of about the musical side of liturgy. But I think one of the big things that, that we kind of miss from liturgy as a contemporary church is the stuff that's outside of just music. Um, so so maybe you can take us into a little bit of the philosophy, philosophy behind uh, church liturgy. I'm going to start by asking you a question. Do you follow the church year when you're doing your stuff? Yes, definitely. So... Uh the, the church historically has followed what's called the church calendar for, uh, well, hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to one extent or another, most uh, mainline churches, Catholic churches and then mainline Protestant churches, uh, follow the church calendar. Uh, Eastern Orthodox churches follow it as well. Basically, just some of the more evangelical Protestant churches are the only churches who usually, usually don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the church calendar, depending on uh, which tradition uh, you're a part of, uh, begins uh, in different places. Uh, the way we observe it, it begins in Advent, so four weeks prior to uh, Christmas. So there's four weeks of Advent, and then uh, then you're in the season of Christmas. Christmas, uh, Christmas ends with Epiphany, uh, which is 12 days following Christmas. It, it celebrates uh, or commemorates the idea of the the Magi visiting mm-hmm. uh, to, to to worship the baby Jesus and uh, this recognition of this baby. Not not as just this baby special when he's born, and not only is is God with us, but 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 uh, he's deserving of worship. Um, so then the the season of Epiphany f- takes us all the way through basically to the beginning of Lent. Uh, and the Lent is is a, a time of paring down, of simplifying, of reflecting, of fasting, uh, preparing ourselves for the celebration of Easter. So Lent takes us through it's it's forty days, not including Sundays, uh, all the way up through the, then Holy Week, 
Um, Lent begins on a Wednesday, uh, usually commemorated with an Ash Wednesday service. Uh, ends with um, Holy Week, which sometimes includes uh, lots of services, a Maundy Thursday service, a Good Friday service, some sort of Easter vigil service on Saturday, and then uh, an Easter Sunday service. So those are services we do at Pearl. Depending on how your tradition works, uh, a lot of mainline traditions will have a daily Mass, and, and so they would have the service every day anyway, mm-hmm. and there would just be extra Masses or services. Uh, following Easter, Easter lasts a number of weeks. Uh, there's a celebration of uh, Ascension Day, uh, and then the following Sunday is a Pentecost Sunday. Uh, the season of Pentecost ends, and uh, a season called Ordinary Time begins, which takes you sort of through the summer all the way through up into Advent again the next year. There's 20-some-odd mm. weeks of Ordinary Time. Uh, ordinary Time is uh, sort of basically related to just the church growing and becoming the church and growing up. It's a, it's a great um, sort of break from the, the, the high liturgical seasons of Advent and Christmas and Lent and Easter. And um, I think I mentioned this the last time. Uh, for, uh, if people want a really great full explanation of each of those seasons, sort of the colors you might use on your altar, uh, what the themes are and those kinds of things and how they progress, uh, there's a great page on Pearl's website. Uh, clicking on about us from from pearlchurch.com and then on the worship page cool so um so what you know a lot of the uh you know catholic lutheran um uh episcopalian churches a lot of them you know, especially the really big old established ones you could go to any church and if you know if you know what Sunday you're on in the church year, you could pretty much know exactly what's going to going to happen that day. So you know, no matter where you are across the country, there's they have um, they have what do they call it their their worship book or their guide worship guide yeah, the worship there's thing. A, there's a, a lot of churches will follow a lectionary that'll have uh, the the prescribed scripture readings for each Sunday. Um, we, we try to be aware of that depending on. Uh, because we do, because uh, we're, um, I, I don't know if we're, a, uh, we fit totally into the, the evangelical box, but but we're a Protestant church. Um, there's a heavy emphasis on uh, teaching and preaching the word, which um, sort of introduces another, another element uh, in addition to just the liturgy. So a lot of times the scripture readings, it helps to have those be marked and informed by whatever is being preached on, whatever sermon series we're working through. Um, but we're at least aware of the lectionary, and sometimes we try to follow it. Um, it's kind of, uh, you know, and I think I mentioned this another time that we chatted, got together and chatted, that, that it's sort of nice, and, and it's a bit of a cop-out that our church just is able to sort of pick and choose bits and pieces that, mm-hmm. that we find really meaningful or inspiring um, depending on what your tradition you're in, you may be a bit more limited and constrained. What you, either who you're allowed to borrow from, either because they're you know they're labeled a heretic or something, or right. <laughs> or how many different things you can borrow because mm-hmm. they they may not be judged to fit together well enough. So uh, philosophically and outside of music, what do you do? How do you how do you approach the things that you choose outside of music and? This, uh, great. Um, uh, I was super um, marked by this idea right out of, uh, it was right around the time I started leading worship at Pearl. 
the idea is that we form worship and worship also forms us. And this was sort of a new idea to me. I kind of came out of, uh, I went to Bible college to learn how to be a music pastor. And, and the thought was, okay, well, uh, we play this worship music and as worshipers and as worship leaders, our job is to mean what we say. And to the extent that our hearts are engaged and, and we're really communicating this to God and we mean what we say and sing, then we're worshiping. And we form worship and, and the meaning in worship comes from us as the worshipers. And, and if we don't mean what we say and our hearts aren't engaged and, or, or somehow the worship is inaccurate, then, it's, then, then the, the meaning in worship isn't formed and, and it's not there because it was supposed to come from us. Uh, and I think that that's, that's really true. Uh, but it seems like it's only half the story. The other, the other half of the story is that worship forms us. Uh, so, so worship is meaningful because it's meaningful and it actually inflicts its meaning upon us. And, and, and our response is not to, um, not to mean it or, uh, to feel it or, uh, to get fired up about it. Our response to worship is to submit ourselves to it and be formed by it, to let it speak to us and move us and shape us. Uh, and this idea is largely, I mean, the, the whole idea of those words would have sounded like nonsense to me in high school and college, that the whole concept of being formed by worship, like going to worship in order to let words and ideas and phrases and notes and music form you and shape you would have just sounded like nonsense, maybe even heresy to me mm-hmm. uh, as, as a, a younger person. But, but I now find that those that that concept and that idea to be a really nice balance to the way of worshiping I was very familiar with growing up where I formed worship. So so I find both to be really true and I think both are helpful forms of worship. So I think one of the reasons a lot of our conservative evangelical churches don't engage in liturgy is because we're really uncomfortable with the idea of worship forming us. So so we don't even know how to recite a creed. So if, if someone put a creed in the bulletin and we all tried to recite it, we'd think the meaning was supposed to come from us meaning it when we recited it. So we'd look at the every word as it went by and think, do I mean this? And I and try to engage. But that's not where the meaning in a creed comes from. The meaning in the creed comes from us all as a community reciting this thing that we deeply want to believe and it forming us. Hmm. You say a creed enough times... Uh, you're going to be going to work on Tuesday and the words of the creed are going to be in your head. And, and, and almost the same thing that happens if when you sing a catchy tune on Sunday and, and your parishioners are humming that tune throughout the week. Uh, what's happening then with, their, with them throughout the week where that song is forming them, what if that happened on Sunday morning and we actually engaged and purposefully chose material and prayers and hymns and creeds and readings that we wanted to form us. And we just read them and sang them and thought them and submitted ourselves to them and allowed them to form us. So, so John, just to clarify, so basically you're saying in, in the same way that, that the Word of God is living and alive and active and changing us, 
in in almost that same way that these kind of liturgical forms of worship, you know, the the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father, you know, like as as we say that, it's not so much yes, yes, I really believe in God the Father, you know, uh, Almighty Maker of Heaven, you know, you're you're actually you're actually saying, John, that that those words can influence and perhaps even change our view or, or our thinking, our theology? Is that? Absolutely. Okay. And I'm saying that those, those things, maybe it's accurate to say that those things are in fact worshipful themselves and, and, and that they just uh, inflict their meaning upon us and that that's a beautiful thing as opposed to, uh, uh, to, to we... Uh, infuse meaning into these things, and then they become worshipful. Uh, no, no, they just are worshipful because they're either scripture or historic creed or prayer, and and, and we uh, participate in them and and find our thoughts and our consciousness and our feelings shaped by them, uh, and and both are just really wonderful um, ways of worshiping. Well, you know. Thinking, thinking back to you know some of the history where this stuff came from, you know, with Catholics, Catholics got together every day. They had they had a certain form of worship that they did every day, and you know, and it was guided and and whatnot. And I, and there was a a reason that it was every day because you know every day we need to be worshiping. Every day we need to be connecting. Eventually, when it you know the Protestants broke off, we came to America, and the evangelicals you know became to where it was just you know twice on Sunday and then a midweek service, right? And you know I remember asking asking someone a pastor back when I was a kid, why do we have why do we have church on Wednesdays? And they said, well, it's because it was it's sort of like a refueling service. You know, you can't get through the week you know, without getting some sort of refueling, you know, so that was the purpose of a midweek service to come and get, get some fuel to get you through the rest of the week. And, and there was still some liturgy involved. There was still some tradition involved. We've gotten to the point now with the the contemporary church where we're meeting one time a week and we've cut out all of the tradition. We've cut out all of the liturgy. And so this idea of being saturated with with things like creeds, this idea of being saturated with scripture, saturated with with traditions that can come into our minds through the week when we need to when we need to be reflecting on them, when we need them the most, when we're out living our lives daily, we we've kind of cut out the possibility of that happening by ignoring liturgy altogether. Am I making sense? So like, you know, so the, the Nicene Creed or, or whatever, you know, whatever creed it is that you guys are choosing to recite, there's no chance of that coming to my mind and helping me through some kind of situation during the week because we don't do it on the weekend in our mm-hmm. church services. And so, so I, th- I you know, I, I'm, I am intrigued by this idea of what you're talking about. Just, just thinking, you know, what good are we missing as a as a modern church from all of the history that we've just decided to cut free from yeah it's uh it's sad in some ways and it but but it's totally understandable um the uh, you know you mentioned the protestant reformation and uh, we're heirs of a tradition that that left a church because it felt stale and um dead and and, and we're we're heirs of a tradition that's that's very. We'll find our own way to do things, and uh, things must be new and relevant. Um, and yeah, so so I, I mean, I think the metaphor of the the throwing the baby out with the bathwater is totally appropriate. You mm-hmm. know, there are 
so many things that were very rich in the traditions of uh, worship in the Catholic Church that that um, a lot of Protestants are, are unwilling to entertain because, oh, well, th- those feel Catholic. Well, uh, there was no one but Catholics for 1,500 years. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think it's okay if it feels Catholic. Yeah. So um, I don't know. You, you want to talk practical stuff? Yeah. yeah, I just, before we, I just want to mention one thing, you know, we, uh, just to give some more relevance to some of this, you know, the Nicene Creed, for example, and just, you know, the, the Council of Nicaea, it wasn't like 50 some days where they got together to hammer out that creed. You know, it was a tremendously long period of time. It might've been years. One of them was like three years that they got together to hammer out like one creed. How often, you know, do we get together now and work on something that diligently and that hard to mm. come out with a finished product that is, you know, that good. And so to to dismiss the amount of God-influenced and spirit-driven time that, that our forefathers put in on some of these things and just, to just write them off as rubbish or that's what they used to do, I think is a mistake. I think I think mm. there's a lot of credence to them. So, that's well said. So, um, I have a question for you, John, and this this we'll probably transition into practical things. Um, you know, you, you mentioned John, this idea that, um, uh, you know, there, there was this perception of, well, man, you know, things are getting stale and old and boring or whatever. And and so we're going to break away from that. How, how do you practically speaking, keep things from getting old and boring and stale? You know, if you're doing the same prayers or the same, you know, readings or the same creeds, how, how do you keep it fresh? Um, how, is there a balance that goes on there, practically speaking? Totally. Uh, that's a great question. Probably, uh, I don't know. I studied church history, uh, so I'm feeling the need to clarify and also mention that uh, a lot of most Protestants also left because they felt the church was incredibly corrupt, <laughs> not, not just stale. Uh, <laughs> that was also a, a, a part, and a lot of them didn't leave. They were excommunicated, so... There, uh, there wasn't and exactly a lot of other choice. things. Yes. Uh, le- leaving that all aside, uh, modern day, so, so I, I feel like, uh, what do we do now? Let's. I'm assuming most of your listeners are probably going to be in the evangelical Protestant sort of world. Yeah. Uh, what do we do to, to try to recapture some of this, this rich liturgy that we've often left behind? Uh I, I, w- I would start by saying we all do liturgy, whether we know it or not. Your church, my church, we haven't stopped doing liturgy. We've just changed it to to be uh, to feel less like liturgy. We all have, whether you have an order of service or a plan of attack when you begin your services or a format that you follow, like an opening prayer and some songs and then a, this and then some more songs and then an offering, then a sermon, that's your liturgy. Uh, that's that's your setup. Uh, so the idea of just becoming more and more intentional about that liturgy and how do you want your services to be formed, um, the question of how do you stay away from being stale is the same whether you embrace uh, sort of haphazard liturgy, whatever you randomly choose and becomes your liturgy, or if you embrace more historic liturgy and uh, prayers and creeds. The way of keeping it fresh is the same either way. Uh, you just sort of have to be conscious of um, when things become uh, more like a rut that you're in. Um, practically speaking, you, you know, it just helps to have three or four different versions of everything that you vary. 
you know? So if you're always having to welcome and the person who does the welcome always says the exact same four sentences and they're always said in the same way, um, that can start to get really boring and annoying. Um, but it's not that hard. Uh, let's say you want the welcome and it's intentional and it has a role to play in the service. Um, having three or four different people do the welcome, one each week varies it. Having the same person do it and doing it three or four different ways but still communicating the same content is a way to, to be intentional about the element in your service without it getting old or um, feeling stale. Um, you could do the same thing, you know, if you wanted to recite a creed every week, um, vary the creeds, you know, have three or four creeds that you recite and put them in a, in, in an order, you know, and, and do one for each week of the month or something. Um, I think the, the other thing that, that just happens, I mean, I, I and I don't know, like I said, our church has only been around eight years. So we've only got eight years of doing liturgy under our belt. You know, I, mean, I don't know, 50 years from now, maybe it's going to feel very monotonous uh, doing the same thing. Um, but I think it's just a perspective shift. It's the, um, it's um, when, when you're thinking in terms of this worship is forming me as opposed to I'm forming it, it's okay for it to be monotonous. It's okay for it to be the same thing. Uh, because, because the meaning and the, the power of that worship doesn't come from how inspiring it feels to you at that moment. It comes from the, the impact that that worship element has on you over time, right? So it's okay that, that it's the 14th time that you've recited this creed uh, because the 15th and the 16th are going to do the same thing to you that the 12th and the 10th did, whether it was boring or not. Uh, so it's a, it's a whole different sort of perspective. So I think there's smart, practical things you can do to keep liturgy fresh, whether it's the liturgy you already do or other, other liturgy. But then I think you have to start with a perspective that says it's okay if this is a, a little um, monotonous because it's supposed to be. Yeah. That's the idea of saturation, you know, the, being saturated with something you can... It's going to come out of you a lot easier than if you just have to try and recall it from that one thing you did 12 years ago, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so resources. Absolutely. Um, And I'll try to do it real quickly. We're almost out of time. Uh, So I'd start, check out Pearl's website to begin with, the the idea of church calendar and um, ideas for ordering a service. Um, the Internet's a fabulous resource. Any of Robert Weber's books, mm-hmm. he's written a lot of books, uh, Ancient Future, Ancient Future Worship, Faith. these kinds of yeah. things are great resources. To be honest, the best resources are going to be the churches down the street from you that you have no idea what they do or why they do it, and the worship pastors at those churches that you've never met. Um, I would deeply recommend that if you get three Sundays off per year, you spend one of them at a Catholic church, you spend one at an Orthodox church, and you spend one at another tradition that you're least familiar with. And you just take it in and go, why are these people doing the things they're doing? Uh, what are some different ways to do stuff? And, and then just be creative. Um, if you always sing songs, um, take a song and do it as a prayer instead of a song. If you always do stuff a certain way, uh, consider doing it a, a slightly different way. And... and um, some of this stuff's just been around so long and the forms have been around so long. Uh, the public reading of scripture has always marked the church. Consider having uh, just official public reading of scripture time where it's nothing other than someone who can read well 
gets up and reads a passage of Scripture, and we all agree to just let this wash over us and mark us. Um, uh, um, public prayer times where the prayers aren't thought of spur of the moment by the person, but instead a, a historic prayer or, or a really well-written, thought-out prayer is read uh, can be just super powerful. Um, corporate confession, corporate readings of creeds, um, these kinds of things I think are super appealing because we do them all together and, and, and we all uh, participate together in the meaning of them. Um, you can find lots of creeds online. Um, any of the Catholic encyclopedias are going to be huge resources there. Um, and, and don't be afraid of reading and finding different saints kind of throughout the centuries uh, who, who are, some of them are poets, some of them are great writers, and they have incredible prayers. If, if some of the Catholic stuff is more scary, uh, go to like Luther and Calvin and some of the reformers. Uh, some of them were, could even properly be called mystics, great prayers Wesley. and writings. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to throw that in there from <laughs> my Arminian background. Yeah, absolutely. You're Wesley. But, um, well, so many of the, the hymns, it's so hilarious in that so many of the hymns we do now written by Charles Wesley, yep. th- that in his day were were the new music that was being fought by the church. And yeah. now uh, you've got people who want to do those old hymns by Wesley and they think mm-hmm. are irrelevant yeah. to, uh, to the modern culture. It's <laughs> absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It's, what is it? I don't know what it's called, but irony. Ironic. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yeah. So it's ironic. Well, thanks a lot, John. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me talk all this time. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being here. So we don't have to talk so much. (laughs) Yeah. It was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Usually usually it's just us rambling about who knows what. (laughs) Now we actually get some content for once in our podcast. Yep. (laughs) Well, so maybe, so maybe we could sum it all up by saying we need to kind of get back in the old box a little bit. You know, you always need to get outside the box. Yeah, Maybe we just need to get back in the old box. Well, it's not, I don't even think of so much boxes. I think sometimes, you know, maybe just letting go of this idea that we have to do every latest, greatest, newest, fangled thing. Um, you know, John, what you said about how, you know, um, th- there's been historical trends that have marked the church for literally centuries, even thousands of years, you know, the, the public reading of scripture, the, the confessions of faith, you know, these, these tenets of, 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 um, the church. And even what you shared, I, I remember being in, um, uh, Rex Coivisto's class at Multnomah, Ecclesiology, Eschatology, and, uh, you know, he had us memorize the Apostles' Creed, and he has visit two churches of different faiths, you know, and, uh, I, that's something that I haven't done since college, and you know maybe that's something I need to do more of. There, there's a Catholic church that's being built right down the road from Laurelwood, and, uh, and I'm thinking, man, maybe I need to visit that church once it opens, um, just just so I'm I'm staying aware of of what other what other traditions are there, and not like you said, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, realizing that different traditions have have their place and these traditions can be beautiful and simple and meaningful to and relevant all at the same time sounds familiar like like, like worship ministry catalyst is a networking resource hey, hey. that's a great plug for yeah. us <laughs> <laughs> go us that's good so hey uh, thanks for listening to another episode you can uh, find out more about john 
johnrossmusic.com, pearlchurch.com, where uh, you can get in touch with us and we will connect you with him. You can uh, check us out, worshipministrycatalyst.com. Send an email to david at worshipministrycatalyst.com or, or to kevin at worshipministrycatalyst.com. And you can check us out on our social network, <laughs> worshipministrycatalyst.com. That's beautiful. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.